My name's Craig. Good to be with you guys today. I, uh, I serve here at Impact. I give oversight to the Life Group Ministry, and it's my privilege to do that. And uh, let's see, I've been a pastor for 35 years, and I retired from the pastorate in March of 2018. Moved here to Teller, Teller County, and uh, now my wife and I have started a new ministry. We serve other pastors. But it's my privilege to serve here at this church because we believe the church is God's hope for the world. So good to be with you today. Well, uh, this morning I had the privilege to close out this series. And Scott, this has been a tremendous series, Famous Friends. And it leads right into everything that we've talked about, uh, Better Together. So you need to be in a life group if you're not in one. So let me just give you that little plug so you can make sure that you find one and get signed up and join today. Well, it's my privilege today to close this series out and to challenge you, uh, my hope would be to challenge you to have a new perspective in your relationships. The message today is on two famous friends, perhaps the two most famous friends in the Bible. It's Adam and Eve. And so today I want to challenge you to go back to the time like in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when marriage just began and build your marriage just like that. What did they do? What did they do? So I want to ask you a question as we get started, all right? Here's my question. If I could sit down with you this morning and just ask you, what, what would it take to build a great marriage? What would it take to have a great relationship? What could you do? What one or two things would you tell me that need to happen in a marriage or maybe in your marriage that would make it great? Now, I know if you asked me that a few years ago, well, let's go back to when I first got married, when I was young and married, I would have had a pretty good list of things. If my wife would do this, then our marriage would be a lot better. And you probably have a list like that too, right? I can think back to we haven't been married that long, and I can think, okay, more romance, more intimacy in the marriage, and, and this thing will be a whole lot better. Now, that took a lot of learning to get on the same page, a couple being together. Yeah, I mean, it did. We finally got on the same page, but it took about four, 40 years, and we're finally there, okay? <laughs> so more intimacy in the marriage would have been a great place to start, uh, and more appreciation. Anybody else feel like that? And you should, maybe you shouldn't raise your hand there right now. More appreciation. I just, you know, I always thought about it. And ladies, I want to tell you something. You probably will, can never understand this, but guys need your affirmation as much as they need their next breath. I, I don't know why that's true, but we just, we need to be appreciated. And I can tell you, the younger we are, the worse we are about that, and the more we need. So just know that. That's just, that's just, that's just a fact of life. And my wife, I would do something I thought was really hard or, or something that really took a lot of time and, and just showed how much I loved her. And she'd say, oh, oh, thanks, hon. <laughs> I'm thinking, come on now. You could do a little better than, oh, thanks, hon. I mean, like the porch light was out. I get a ladder, six feet tall, climb up on that thing, risk my life to change that light bulb. And she says, oh, thanks, hon. And I thought, come on now, after all I've done, you could have at least come outside and say, oh my goodness, look what you've done. I can't believe you've changed that light bulb. Who taught you to do that? You are so good at changing light bulbs. And she said, thanks, hon. I mean, it's not like I wanted to make a big deal out of it or anything. I, just a little appreciation. That's all I needed. And then here's another one. And you probably felt this too, a little more understanding you know, maybe forgiveness. Um, 
just some latitude in life. And, and here we are, newlyweds, and, and I'm, a, I'm a hunter. I'm a guy, okay? I like the outdoors. I like to hunt. I like to fish. And uh, this, this is, I know, it sounds bad for her, but I'd been hunting for, you know, like five or six days straight. And I, was, I like to hunt it every day of the week. And I was always home in time for dinner. And when I would come in sometimes after weeks of doing this, I mean, it's like the world had come to the end. She just, she just didn't understand my need to be a guy. And maybe you've run into that too, right? And, and it's, you know, come on now, let me have a little attitude here. I'm a guy. I like to hunt. I like to fish. I've got to be outside. That's just, that's just the way it is. But she didn't seem to really understand that in me. And you probably have your list too, don't you? I bet if I were able to sit down with you and ask you, what would it take to make your marriage better? What would you like? I bet you could tell me one or two things or maybe more right off the bat. And I thought about this, and I, I think there's some things that you would tell me. You, you might say, she or he needs to be a better money manager. If we managed our money better, then, then our relationship would be so much better. Some of you would say more communication or, or, or at least some communication. You know, at least let's talk since we've got into this thing together, and you've probably said that, and I already see some elbows, and you might withhold those for a little bit. <laughs> How about quality time? You know, come on, let's reestablish a date night. Let's do something. Let's spend time together. You always, and, and you just kind of go on like that, but if you spend more quality time together, life would just be better. You would have a much better relationship. And some of you would say, let's just get on the same page with how we discipline their children. Or how about he helps out around the house a little bit. How about setting boundaries for in-laws? Or, or am I missing anything? Have you guys, did you think of something else? That, can you just shout it out real quick? What else did I miss? I did a good job? I kind of covered it? That's what you were thinking? Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. So we always have this, this list of things that if, if I could just make it better, and, and if he would just do this, and if she would just do this, then our relationship would be so, so much better. What I want to do today, I'm going to show you how to have a great relationship even when things aren't so great. Today, I want to talk to you from Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning and see this is what God intended. This is what his goal was from the beginning. And I want to show you how to have a great relationship, even when not everything is great. So go ahead and open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2. Now, let me tell you, if I, this is a marriage message. So if you're married, this is, this is, yes, this is for you. It doesn't matter if you've been married for one day or, or like Debbie and I, 100 years. This is, this is for you. You need this. And you could say, well, my marriage is already great. Well, let me just tell you then, you can go ahead and take a snooze. Uh, no, honestly, you really better not because here's, here's what I'll tell you. Even if, it's, even if it's great, it can be better. I know you don't think that, but it, it really can. It can get better. And let me tell you this. Even if it's great, there's going to come a day in your relationship, and after 44 years, I can tell you that no matter how great it is, there's going to come a time in your marriage when you realize, I should have been listening. When you know that I needed to hear, and I need to hear what I'm going to tell you today. Let me tell you, if you're here today and you are not married or you used to be married and you hope to be married again or you want to get married someday, then you really need to hear what I'm going to tell you. So if you're in grade school, listen. If you're in junior high, high school, whatever it is, you want to get married someday, you really ought to pay attention and hear this. There's one other group that I just want to address really quickly. If you're here today and you are not a Christ follower, 
I, I just can't tell you how honored that we all are that you would choose to be here at this church with us. We think that's the greatest compliment that you could pay us is, is to come here to know that, that this church does accept you. You're welcome here at this church because there really are no perfect people. None of us really have it figured out. But our hope for you is that while you're here today, that you would hear something from God's Word and you would just realize that the wisdom of God is greater than anything else that you've ever been taught in life. And something would draw you to say, I really want to know this God that you're talking about. And somewhere along the way that you would put your trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's our goal for you. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to jump in it, and let's quickly get started here because I don't want to run out of time before we get done. Genesis chapter 2, this is, let me give you just a bit of backstory before we read it, all right? Genesis chapter 1 is the story of creation in macro. God just tells us that he created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And after each day, five days successively of creating, God looked and said, this is good. I mean, like what I did, this is beautiful. I love the work of my hands. This came out just like I saw it. I made it out of nothing. There it is. And each day, this is good. When he came to the sixth day, when he created man, this is like the crown of creation. And he looks and he said, this is very good. This is what I had in mind. I would create this beautiful place and, and place man and woman in this garden, and they would carry out the work that I've assigned to them. This is, this is really good. But then you turn the page and you come to Genesis chapter 2, and everything slows down. And in Hebrew fashion, they repeat the story. They tell it again. But now they tell it in detail, focusing in on that which was, was the primary reason for the whole thing. The creation of man. So God tells us in the first 17 verses of all that he's created, and he's created man, he's placed him in the garden, he's given him a work to do, and he said, you're going to rule over all creation, you're going to manage this garden, and you're going to take the rest of the world, and it's going to become like this prototype of the garden, and you're going to make it that way. He said, wow, and he gives him a command to obey, and, and he says, don't. Now, all the food in this garden, it's yours, but it's one tree right over here. You are not to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day you eat it, well, you'll just die. He's okay. And then we come to verse 18, and we see something that we've never seen before in the Bible to this point. Then the Lord God said, it's not good. What's, what could not be good? I mean, God created it. What could not be good? He said, it's not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper just right for him. Sometimes we think of the term helper, and we kind of think of it in diminutive terms, demeaning terms. Oh, well, he's just a helper, or she's just a helper. But throughout the Bible, the term helper, it's, it's used in an exalted fashion. Did you know that the same word is used for God, that God, David would say in the Psalms, that God is my helper? So when you think of the word helper, you really should think of something, a person coming into your life that's able to do that which you are not able to do. And guys, let me just tell you real quick, you should not think of it that your wife is your helper, that she's there to do that which you are not willing to do, okay? 
She completes you. She, she, she's just brought into your life by the, by the will and the work of God to complete you, to make you uh, able to do that which you are not able to do on your own. You're not able to do all that, that God wants you to do without her. Oh, you need her. She's your helper. She's your completer. And by the way, the term suitable, that's an older translation. He will give her, a, a, a him, a helper, suitable. I don't, I don't know. That, that term doesn't communicate to me really well today, but I love the New Living Translation. It says he will make a helper that's just right for him. God didn't say that he would give you or give her or give him a helper that was perfect, God alone is perfect, but I can tell you that God gave you someone that was just right for you. The work that God has you to do, the commands that God has you to obey, you need her in your life because she's just right for you to help you get the job done. And the scripture says, so the Lord God formed from the ground. All, no, wait, 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 stop here. What does it mean that he formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see, that, see what he would call them, and the man chose names for each one. We're reading in verse 18 that the guy is alone, and God said, this is not good, and he needs a helper. And then God said, so he made animals and brought them. Was it like Adam was supposed to find a helper among all the animals? Is that what it was? Is, is that what it was to be? And you and I said, no, 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 that wasn't it at all. We just know that, that Adam is a guy. I mean, he's out here in creation. He's, he's, he's out in the woods, if you will. I mean, he's got wild animals all around him. He's got streams flowing with fish. He's got an ocean. He's got it all. He's in nature. Adam just thinks this is really good. Adam doesn't see a problem in his situation at all. He thinks, this is great. I mean, he's got the original T-shirt on. It's tattooed on his chest. you got this little stick figure sitting beside a fire drinking a cup of coffee. No lady there. And it says, and he's got a little caption underneath it. They actually found this on a, a cave. It was tattooed on the cave. And it said, life is good, right below it. That's what Adam thought life was before Eve. He just thought, this is great. How, it couldn't be any better. And so God said, let's just wake, awaken a need in him. And so the Lord has all these animals to pass by. And so you name them, Adam. And so two monkeys go by, and he said, there's a, two monkeys. And he named them monkeys. He thought that, that was just a cute name for, for those little guys. And, and there are two bears, and he names them, and two lions, and two giraffes. And he goes through all of this, and somewhere inside of Adam, there begins to awaken a need. Wait a minute. He, he, he couldn't identify it. He couldn't say, this is what's wrong here. He couldn't, but God knew that. And so Adam just said, something's missing. Something's missing in my life. And, and as he begins to figure it out, God said, he's coming around. And so he, then he puts him to sleep. And you go down to verse 21. said, so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. you got to circle these first two words in your Bible. Adam raised his eyes, just kind of shakes his head coming out of anesthetic. And he said, at last, at last. 
Why do you think he said it last? Those words grab me. I mean, it's kind of like, God, I couldn't tell you what it was, but there was something missing in my life. There was something going on inside, and I just, I just felt so incomplete. I felt there was such a need, and, and I just couldn't put it into words. But, Lord, when I woke up and I saw that woman, I just said, it last. It last. This is bone from my bone. It's flesh from my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she came right out of me. What do you think? Adam accepted her so readily. He didn't know anything about her. He didn't know if she could cook. <laughs> he didn't know if she would like hiking, camping, the outdoors, hunting and fishing. He knew, he knew nothing about her. Why did he accept her so readily? You could say, well, that, he didn't have a lot of choices. <laughs> I'd say, well, you're right about that. <laughs> That's true. I think it's deeper than that. Do you? Don't you? I think there's more going on. I think Adam accepted her, not because of what he knew about her, but because of what he knew about God. He knew that if God said, she will be a helper just right for you, then she was just what God ordered. And he could look at her and say, man, I can't believe it. At last, at last, at last, I'm complete. I'm not alone anymore. Can I just give you something? This is what you came for. I hope you write this down. I hope you remember it because this is, this is really all I want you to take away today is this. Your hope for a great marriage is not what you believe about your spouse, but what you believe about your God. That's it. This is, this is a change in perspective. Because I can tell you that you're, you're just as I. You've looked at her and you've looked at him and, and you thought, why can't you be like or why can't you do this? Why can't you change that? And you look to that person and, and you want them to be this person that you want them to be that you think that you need to be when all along God knew what you needed and he gave you someone that was just right for you. They're not perfect, and they're not everything that you want, but they're everything that you need in order to do everything God wants for you. Your greatest hope for a great marriage, it's, it's not what you believe about him or her, but it's what you believe about your God. Why would you trust God in this? This is a great question. Why would you trust God in this? Well, we could say that God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should have eternal life. We could say that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No matter how bad we were, God loved us, and he sent his son anyway so that we could have eternal life. We could say that, that if God would not spare his own son, but he would freely give him up for us, how will he not also freely then give us all things? We can name all of those reasons, and, and I think you know those reasons already, but I think there's a reason right here in this passage to why you and I should trust God, why we should lean into him, and to believe that that person we have, that person that he gave to us, is just right for us.
right here. There are three. Here's the first one. Did you know this? There's a great reason to trust God. God saw your need for that woman or that man before you did. He did. Scripture says it right here. Then God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Adam had no idea that he had a need. God took the initiative. God's the one that saw it. And that's the second thing I would tell you, that God took the initiative to meet your need. He did it. You didn't understand why. You were just going through life. You're happy being an outdoorsman. You're happy being whatever you were in life. You're happy being a, a, a nurse or, or whatever it could be in life. You were doing well in your life. But then this person walked into your life, and all of a sudden you looked and said, at last. You don't know why. But God knew your need, and God saw your need, and he took the initiative to meet that need. And then he gave you just what you needed. And the scripture says that I will make a helper just right for him. Man, well, I, I can't tell you how important it is that, that you change your thinking, you change your perspective about your mate. That it's, it's not him that's going to fulfill all your desires and, and be that perfect person for you. But they're just right for you. They're just what God ordered in order to help you be and do everything he wanted you to do. By the way, what is it now that God wants from us? We know that in a marriage, we can think of all that we want. Really, we can. We can think of this whole list, if she were only, if he were only. And we can have this long list of what we want. But let me tell you what God wants. God still has a work for you to do and a command for you to obey. And the, command, the work that he wants us to do is a marriage that when he brought us together, when he brought Debbie and I together, he had one thing in mind. Is that our marriage relationship, according to Ephesians chapter 5, would be so great that it would be a reflection of Christ and the church. So that others could look at us and say, I want whatever it is that they've got. God wants to draw other people to himself through you and through your relationship. That's what he wants. That's a work for you to do. God wants to use you and your husband and your wife to fulfill the Great Commission. He wants everyone in the world to put their faith in him through Jesus Christ. That's what God wants. There's a command for you to obey. He wants you to become just like his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. God's working everything together for good. How many know that verse already? God's working everything together for good for those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. No, if you know that verse, put your hand up real high. If you've heard it before, most of us know that verse, don't we? What is the purpose? What is it that you can say that God is going to bring it all together? He's going to make everything work together for me because you're called according to his purpose. You love him. And that purpose is the next verse. For many as come to know, as knew him, he predestined that they would become like his son, Jesus Christ. That's God's will. That's God's work, and that's God's will for you and me. That's it. And that person he gave you is just what you needed to fulfill everything God wants for you. Now, I want to tell you something. Perspective means everything. If your trust is in her, then it's, you're going to be angry a lot. Because she's not perfect. She's not going to be everything you want her to be. If your trust is in him, you're going to have problems. You're going to argue a lot. And by the way, it's pretty easy to tell where your hope is. You just sit around your house, just be with you for a little while, and I could figure out what your hope is in. That's a fact. 
Let me tell you how big perspective is. When you, it's just how you see things, isn't it? I want to give you a picture. This is a picture that I saw years ago. Uh, I bet you've seen it as well, right? You've seen that picture? Have you? What, what's it a picture of? Is it a picture of an ugly woman or a beautiful woman? Both? What, what's the difference? Come on now. Is it an ugly woman to you? Raise your hand if it's an ugly woman. You got a few? Got, yeah. Is it a beautiful woman? Raise your hand. Got a few more. It's a beautiful woman. How many of you, you can see both? You can see the ugly woman and the beautiful woman. It, it, let me ask you a question. Isn't it just a matter of your perspective? Isn't it, really? You can look at it one way, and it's a very beautiful woman. You can look at the picture another way, and it's a very ugly woman. It is. Isn't that amazing? You can do that in your relationship. Perspective really matters, doesn't it? Perspective makes such a difference. Here's something I want to tell you about it. It's how you look at things. Let me just give you a couple of words on perspective, all right, and reality. Here's the first. Your reality has less to do with the way he or she is and more to do with the way you are. Isn't that true? Your reality has less to do with the way she is and more to do with the way you are. Isn't that right? Here's the question. What are you looking for when you look at your mate? What are you, what are you looking at? And I can tell you this, that if you get into a marriage and you just, you just begin to argue, 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 all you're going to see is Miss Ugly. All right? It's going to be your perspective. When you argue all the time, when you fight all the time, you come together, you're just going to see Miss Ugly. And you're not going to see Mr. Wonderful, I promise you. Uh, it's going to be Mr. Ugly. That's what you're going to see. That's going to be your perspective. It is. But here's another deal. Here's another thing you need to know about perspective. And it's this. Perspective has a way of creating your reality. It's true. Perspective has a way of creating your reality. If you can look at her, not by the way she's performing, if you can look at her and say in your head and in your heart that she is just right for me, you'll change your reality. You will. If you can look at him and you can say that he is just right, I mean, he is God's gift to me. He is just right for me. You will change your reality. If your marriage is, is not so great right now, I'm telling you, you can change it with a change of perspective. And that perspective is that I just begin to believe that my hope for a great relationship is not what I believe about him or what I believe about her, but what I believe about my God. Men and women, that just, that just changes everything. Ladies, God gives you a promise. I want to give you a scripture. You probably already know it. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. And guys, we'll get, we've got one for you. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. This is, this is just a matter of perspective, and this is what God tells you. If you trust him, lean into him, you can change your reality. You can. Listen to this. In the same way, he said, you wives, and by the way, the same way is how Christ trusted the Father and was willing to offer himself up as a living sacrifice or a sacrifice on the cross for us. 
In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any word. They will be won over by observing your pure and your reverent behavior. Real quick, does God say that you will win them with your words, your badgering, or without? Just which? With or without? With. Which would you rather it be, though? You'd re- no, you'd rather it be with words, wouldn't you? Let's, let's just be honest. We're in church. It's okay to be honest. You'd rather use words, wouldn't you? But God said, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Lean into me. Trust me. Be the person that I want you to be. And watch me work from above to bring the change. Isn't that great? God said, I'll do that for you. But you've got to have a change of perspective to do that. God, I'm trusting you. It's not him, it's not her, it's you, God, bringing into my life. Here's a verse for you guys. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. For husbands, he's already spoken to the wives, now he speaks to the husbands. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And by the way, I hated this verse when I was a new Christian. Scared me to death. I didn't know anything about giving myself up for my wife. I just knew about her giving up for me. That was the southern, the right way. It was the wrong way to do a great marriage, but it was the way I was taught. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Why? Why did, why did he give up his life for her? What, what's it say? To make her holy and what? And clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Now watch this. This is beautiful. He did this to what? Just read it. He did this to what? To present her to himself as a What? A glorious church without what? Spot or wrinkle. And this has nothing to do with ugliness, wrinkles. This, this is the holiness that he wanted for her. That he's gonna, If he's going to have the bride he wanted, he had to die. He had to give himself up for her. Man, I'm telling you, if you want the bride you want, you've got to lean into God. You've got to give yourself up for her. I mean, God says there's a reward for that said, for the man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. You're doing yourself a good deed. You're doing your marriage a great favor when you give yourself up for her. No one ever hates his own body but feeds and cares for it. Like, why wouldn't you do that for your wife? Why wouldn't you give yourself up for her just as Christ cares for the church? Isn't that amazing? This is a change in perspective. This is what God calls us all to do. This is what he's asked of everyone let me tell you, there's, five th- four, there's four times in a marriage. The Bible speaks of three times, all right? Three times that every marriage, I'm just going to tell you this in advance, every marriage runs into rough spots. It does. And the Bible tells you there are three. This is from the Song of Solomon. It said there are three times that you're going to run into a hard spot. Uh, the first one, newlyweds. Somewhere along the way, you're going to have trouble. Maybe the first five years of that relationship, you're, you're just going to have a hard time. It's kind of like you wake up and say, oh my gosh, that's not the person I thought it was, and, and things just get rough. It's within that first five years. So you make it through the first five years, you're doing, you're doing really well. But it, you haven't got it made because you've got midlife. Uh, the script, Song of Solomon mis- mentions that midlife, you begin to take each other for granted. Uh, this is where things begin to change, and, and you start to wonder, am I really the man I thought I was, and I'm getting a little gut on me now, and I'm kind of losing my hair, where it's turning gray, and I'm not as strong as I was, and, and things are just really changing. So at midlife... We get a little insecure, and it, it does bring into a hardship into the relationship. The next one is the empty nest time. 
Uh, when the kids leave from home, a friend of mine told me, he's a few years older than I am, and he told me before we became empty nesters, he said, at that time, there's going to be a change in your marriage. He said, I can't tell you how you're going to respond to it. I can't tell you what the change is going to be. I can just tell you it's going to be different. And uh, when Debbie and I hit it, I'm so grateful he told me that because it was a change and it was different that we just had to work through. We had six kids and we're used to building our life around them. And now everybody's gone and it's just the two of us and we really loved each other, but it, it was just a hard time. Well, we made it through the first five years, God's grace only. Uh, we made it through the midlife crisis. I didn't even really feel it. I didn't even buy a Harley. I mean, nothing happened to me at the midlife. I missed it. It was just gone. But if you have a Harley, that's okay. Maybe you bought it because that's the first time you had money uh, instead of anything else. I don't know. But I made it through the midlife crisis. She made it through the midlife crisis. And then we had the empty nest. That was the hardest spot, but we made it through it. And so that's why I'm going to tell you, there's not just three, there's four. And the fourth one is at any time in your marriage, you decide to build a house, that you will have troubles. I'm promising you will have troubles. And so Debbie and I did that. We made it through those first three and thought, it's a breeze. And people warned us, people get divorced when they build houses. And so we said, we can do it. By the grace of God, we can do it. So we, we started building this house together. And I got to tell you, and it, Debbie, it's okay with, with her that I, that I tell you this. I got her permission. She just flat lost her mind. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, have you ever been in a place in your life where you can do nothing right? Seriously, nothing. That was, that was us. I, I could do nothing right. It, it didn't matter if I said I love you. Why'd you say it like that? And, and what, would you, what do you think about this? And well, well, I think this. Well, how about, let's do it this way. No, we don't. That's, this is the way. And it was, we just didn't get along on anything. It was really tough. And we're trying to hide this from the kids, and, and they don't know what's going on. We're really doing bad. And I don't think we're going to get a divorce or anything, but it was horrible. And so and one morning she said, I just want us back. I'm thinking, I just want Debbie back. I don't care about us. I just want my wife back. This is, this is tough. I don't like this at all. And so I decided to do the spiritual thing. I'm in the head of the home. I'm a, I'm a spiritual guy. And so I'm going to lead my wife. We're going to memorize scripture. And we're going to change this thing. We're going to get it all straightened out. And so we'd already memorized this passage a long time ago. But I thought, we need to go over it again. We need help desperately. And so we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, about verse 4 through 8, and memorized that, that love is passage. You know what I'm talking about. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it goes on and on. We memorize each one of those characteristics. And I thought, this will straighten her out once and for all. And, uh, and as we're going through it, all of a sudden, I start realizing, um, you're not quite as patient as you think you are. <laughs> and doggone, you're not kind at all. <laughs> and you're really demanding. And uh, love does not seek its own. And, and it's kind of like it's my way or the highway. We're going to build it like this or regardless. And I thought she just fought me on it for no reason. And I began to see that she wasn't the problem. Here, listen to this. She was the mirror. I would have never seen myself had I not looked at my wife in the light of Scripture. And I began to say, God, I'm so sorry. It is I. I'm the one that needs to change. I asked her forgiveness, and, and I began to take these, these, this passage seriously and to begin to work on it. I even made a game out of it. Could I get through a whole day and really be a patient person, and, and could I really give in to her and, and yield? And it just, it just kind of became fun. 
and, and, and I'm doing everything I can for her. And I got to tell you, this is, this is so embarrassing to admit. But somewhere along the way, I realized that I'm doing so much for her. I'm changing. I'm, I'm thinking, God, why couldn't you give her this great insight? <laughs> I mean, let her change and so that I can benefit from it. And then I realized something. He did. When he changed me, he changed her. This is so crazy. Perspective works like this. When your perspective is right, when you're looking at God and, and believing that he is all that you need and that he gave you just what you needed, a suitable helper, um, a, a, a just right fit for you, it changes everything. When you quit trying to make her change, God will change her. When you quit trying to make him change, God will change him. But probably not before. He gave you just what you needed. Would you, just, would you just say this out loud for me? We're going to put it on the screen. This is, this is what I want you to take away. Your hope, let's just read this out loud. Let's say it out loud. Your hope for a great marriage is not what you believe about your spouse, but what you believe about your God. I want to ask you to do something this morning. If, if you're here today and you're, you're, you want to be married again, you've been married and you want to get married again, or you're here today and you're not married, I, I just want to ask you, would you nail it down this morning? Would you remember this? That your hope for a great marriage is not in that person that you're going to marry, but it's in the God that awoke a need in you and provided your need with a helper just right for you. And you, you will decide today, I will trust God. I put my hope in Him. If you're here today and, and you are married and it's already a great marriage, then you can make it better by just a little shift in your thinking. Just a little shift. If you're here today and you're struggling and our marriage really hasn't been that great, but it could be, it could be. Remember, your, your hope is, is in God. It's not in her. It's not in him. And when you begin to live it out, put your joy, your hope in him, gosh, things just change. That's why the scripture tells us, do not be conformed to this world. There's a way the world does it. They do it this way. They put their hope in each other, and they push, and they change, and they work on each other. But you're not to be like that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look at the Scripture. Pay attention to what God has shown us, and obey that. Put your hope in God. You'll change. Your only hope for change is in God. Would you just say today, I'm, I'm going to do that. Our band's going to come up. We're going to sing in just a minute. As we do, I just want you to reflect on this. Would you today say, I'm putting my hope in God? I want to ask you to do one more thing. I want to ask you, would you just kind of take this little, this little mantra we're using today, your hope for a greater marriage. It's not what you believe about your spouse, but it's what you believe about your God. Would you just write that somewhere on a, on a mirror, a card, your car, put it somewhere. Maybe go to your Google calendar or whatever calendar you use and put a reminder so that it comes up once a month and reminds you. You're going to get it down today, but you're going to forget it. Put it somewhere where it's going to come back up and you'll remember it again, again, and again. I want to ask you to do something else. If, you, if you're really courageous, if you really want to get all that God has for you, then, then maybe in the next 48 hours, would you do this? Would you look your wife in the eyes 
in the most romantic way you know how, the most sympathetic, apologetic way you know how, and say, honey, I am so sorry. Look your husband in the eye. Honey, I'm so sorry. I put all this weight on you. I've, I've tried to make you be all things for me. But today I realize what I can do for our marriage, the best thing I can do, the greatest hope I have for making it a great marriage. It's not what I believe about you. But babe, it's what I believe about our God. And he can do great things through us. I just want you to know and forgive me for what I put you through. Would you do that? This last group. This is our hope. This is why we ask you to come here every week. This is why we challenge all of our regular guests and members to bring their friends back to know Jesus. We just believe that God's word is so wise, so powerful. It'll change your life. If, you've, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, we invite you to know him. We invite you to put your trust in Jesus Christ. You say, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just warming up to the idea. I just started coming to church. Great, come back next week. We want you to come back next week because God's word is always taught here. And it's so wise. We want you to know him. Let's pray together. Would you bow with me, please? <clears throat> Father in heaven, we look to you. God, you are our hope. In fact, Lord, you are our only hope. And God, I ask you to forgive me for all the times that I failed you and I failed Debbie. I think all of us, Lord, would make this our prayer today. Say, God, forgive me. And help me today, Lord, to live like, like what I say I believe, that God is my hope. Father, it's okay for me to talk to her and tell her where I'm struggling. It's okay for me to tell her what I need. It's okay for us to get counseling. It's all, all that's fine. But what, what's not fine is for me to put the weight and the expectation on her change. Father, she's my mirror. That I see where I'm failing you. And she's my just right person that I can do the work that you've called me to do and obey the command that you've given me to become just like your son. God, we love you. Thank you for preserving your word for us, for keeping it, for sharing it with us. That we can have the best life we could possibly have. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.